Good day, everyone, and welcome to the Agile Meridian. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. The Agile Meridian is here to serve up topics that span the globe of what it means to be agile. We hope you enjoy the show, and we encourage you to leave us feedback or suggestions for future topics. Now on to the show. Hello, world. Welcome to the first podcast from Agile Meridian, uh, where we are hoping to connect agilists from across the world. My name is Jolly Rajan. I live in Washington, D.C. I have been involved with Agile software delivery since the early 2000s, first as a developer and then in various consulting roles, including coaching and training. My goal has been to adapt the frameworks and patterns that I have seen working with all these clients in the last few years and make best possible change at the organizations that I'm involved with right now. Today, we are going to dive deep into the topic of Xscale and the patterns that Xscale brings to the table. Today, we also have Kumar and Nishant, who are the stewards for the Xscale movement in the United States. And we also have Phil. So without further ado, I will ask Kumar to give a brief introduction about himself and uh, what his experience my name is Kumar Janachan, and I've been involved with Agile for longer than I knew it was called Agile. So before I got into software development, I used to run restaurants, and that was a very agile and nimble industry to be in. I left the restaurant industry in the late 90s, got into software development, and I was in shock at how different it was, at least back in the late 90s, early 2000s, until I discovered this thing called Agile, and I've never really looked back. Currently, I'm exploring Xscale Alliance and the patterns, as Jolly mentioned, as a way to descale organizations and get us back to the roots of Agile, where we started back in 2001. With that, I'll turn it over to Nishant. I'm Nishant Sathiran. I've been involved with Agile since 2003. That's when I knew that what Agile is um, when I was working for Nokia. But before that, I mean, I, I used to you know, I, I am a hardcore hardware engineer, so I used to write software just enough to make my hardware function. And I didn't know that was nimble and that was agility at that point until Nokia taught me about agility. I fell in love with it. I've been in multiple roles since then, have worn the coach hat for over a decade now, constantly searching for improving the world of agile and creating a learning ecosystem. And, you know, it was by luck that me and Kumar caught up in my exploration phase, and uh, we have been working together, finding the same answers that we were having questions for for a long time. And uh, that's how we stumbled into Xcal. Over the journey, we met with Phil, who's our guest for today. And uh, it has been an awesome time learning about uh, the industry Phil works for and come getting to know him and get him started on his agile uh, journey. So I will let Phil talk about his journey and introduction to Agile. Uh, thank you, Nishant. As Nishant said, my name is Phil. I, too, I very much like uh, Kumar described himself. While I'm new to Agile, unlike these guys, it turns out that all I'm new to is the nomenclature. I have been a lean thinking person my entire life. When a delivery truck pulls up, I see three things they should do differently to be better and faster and more efficient at what they do. And I, I understand I drive people crazy. My wonderful bride of, of uh, 24 years is patient with me as I continuously try to improve everything around me. 
Sometimes maybe I'll just take a deep breath and enjoy the sunset. But for now, I see ways to improve the steps down to the water and improve the way of packing the cooler and really appreciate the gracious attitude of you, Jolly, and you, Kumar, and you, Nishant, to include me and and, uh, help me along the journey and look forward to sharing my experiences with others. Excellent. Thank you for the introduction, y'all. Today, as we mentioned, this is our first podcast and we are going to dive deep into Xscale. But before we go into the Xscale patterns itself, I want to hear your experiences with Xscale, Nishant, and Kumar. On what are the reasons why organizations should be considered about agility? Let's keep aside agile or frameworks for a second. Why should they be concerned about agility? Who wants to take that? I can start and then others jump in. So I mentioned in my intro that I used to run restaurants and a restaurant is a microcosm of business agility. It really is because, or at least a well-run restaurant. You have basically an entire organization in, in within four walls, right? You've got ordering and you've got delivery of product that happens hundreds of times a day, especially if it's a busy restaurant. And through the ordering of supplies, through the delivery of the product to the customers, you have a full value stream of steps that need to be executed almost to perfection so that you, you minimize, minimize waste. You're not wasting food or you're not wasting t- people's time and you're providing an, an exceptional experience to the customers that come through your door as a, as a restaurant owner or a restaurant manager. And it requires lots of close collaboration between the leaders that run the restaurant and the employees that serve and you know cook and serve the food, prepare the food, cook the food, serve the food. And so it's kind of a microcosm of what true business agility is, right? So if the food isn't right, then you hear about it immediately. The feedback is quick and, and fast and we don't have structures like we do in software, of course, because after all, it is a restaurant. We're not building software here. We're building a, we're building a, a meal, right, for someone to, to enjoy, hopefully enjoy. But there are parallels, right? And we, we don't certainly don't need to scale to multiple teams doing the same sorts of things. Restaurant is a good breeding ground, a learning ground, if you will, for how you might descale an organization. And of course, I don't remember the original intent of your question, Jolly. Can you repeat that? There are agile transformations going on in in every big organization these days, whether that be IT or even outside of IT. But why should organizations be concerned with agility to begin with? I can put a twist to it to add a little bit more to what Kumar described. One of the major causes for going any route of, of being nimble or being agile is due to the disruption. We have global digital disruption. The companies that were Fortune 500s are no longer Fortune 500s, you know, and the companies that start today, they get to a Fortune 50 or 500 in like less than two, two years. It's all about how you want to take change. How do you want to satisfy your customer, uh, as Kumar said, and how do you want to grow? What is that difference that you're looking for in your company? The olden ways of doing work was great. I mean, it, it helped us during that time. And, you know, it worked for so long. But today, everything is about digital or software. If uh, you're not a software company or you don't have software attached to your company, you lag behind, way behind in the industry. So that's one of the important reasons, Jolly, that I feel the need for agility in our lives. If I may, I would would add on something. I, I love those answers. But I would add on one of the things that makes new 
comers to the market, able to beat the behemoths that are Fortune 30 companies, is their ability to have everyone pulling in the same direction at the same time, which mm-hmm. means being able to identify the most valuable thing to be working on right now. And mm-hmm. that's really what the, if you have agile practices, if you're able to be nimble, then when you discover mm-hmm. today the most valuable thing to work on, it's okay to stop and work on that. Whereas right. these enormous companies with tens of thousands of people struggle over 18 months to even identify what the most valuable thing is, let alone have everyone pull in the same direction. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, that must be the reason why almost every Fortune 100 company these days are involved in agile transformations in one way or another. And uh, I think we have been lucky enough to be involved in at least one of those. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Nishant Phil and Kumar has been in one of these big Fortune 100 organizations, which is undergoing these agile transformation. So when you go there uh, and when you work with these clients, what are the challenges that you're seeing? What are the biggest problems that you see in the agile transformation itself? They are all trying to be nimble. They are all trying to be to get to the point where they can pivot uh, on a dime. But that transformation is always not easy. So what are the what are the biggest challenges that you are seeing there? Yeah, I can start, and then uh, uh, others can chime in. For me, it's it's this idea that you have this big transformation up front. We see this all in a lot of clients, ones that I've been exposed to, bring in a bunch of coaches and mm-hmm. spread the coaches through the organization. And whether the that part of the organization is ready or not, we're going to come in, we're going to show you how it's done, and inevitably the transformation falters because – uh, there wasn't the right approach. It wasn't the right direction. It was whatever. The, the part of the organization may have not not have been ready. Other parts may have been ready. Uh, so that's that's one of the things that I see quite often. Nishant, Phil. So my experience has been you know similar, but has also been a challenge with leadership. That's something you know I've come across in multiple organizations. Um, people still tend to fall back to look at their leaders for change, which is not wrong. I mean, it's it's really the way we have been doing things for all this while. But somehow when we go into transformations, you know, the leadership wants that transformation because they want to get speed to market or get to a better place with the ROI that they're looking for. But unfortunately, they're not equipped with the tools, nor uh, they're sold into the idea of the transformation. So there is always a big gap there between being agile and doing agile. So uh, that's what I have seen uh, as the main cause. How about you, Phil? Yeah, Nishan, you're talking about the the cultural adaptation to this new way of thinking, and it really is a very new way of thinking. So it's not the mechanics. The mechanics are easy. When you're teaching tennis or teaching golf or something, showing somebody how to swing a racket is very easy. Mm-hmm. Getting to understand the the nuance of how to grip and change your grip and all those kinds of things. I'm not a tennis uh, pro, but the mechanics are not the hard part. It's the cultural shift. And if leadership is not completely bought in and 100% on board, if you don't hear them saying things like, my life at home has changed because of this new way of thinking, then they're going to be talking about ROI, not how what is the new way people think. And so when you begin talking about maybe MVP, which Mm -hmm. we know that these disruptive companies do think in terms of the minimal viable thing. What is the smallest thing I can do to test my theory? Unless they're thinking that way, they're not going to be prepared for 
for enormous cultural change in the organization. And it can be heartbreaking to watch that struggle, but you've really got to go through that struggle to make that change. Right. And to all of you guys' point, the problems that you guys brought up are even more magnified when the, when it's a big organization. When it's a small company, the having that sense of agility and having that sense of purpose and the cultural change is probably much easier than the, when it happens in a big organization, let's say a Fortune 100 or a Fortune 50 organization. Lining up to that single mission becomes more difficult. And that's probably one of the reasons why there has been quite a bit of mushrooming about of ton of frameworks that is supposedly going to help you get to that point where you want to be. And many of these large organizations have adopted these frameworks and maybe not got the results that they expected, but we are hoping that at the X scale pattern that Nishant and Kumar has been very involved in recently would help. So to that point, Nishant, I mean, I think you have worked on the X scale pattern along with Kumar for a while now. If you wanted to define it, what is X scale? XSCALE actually stands for an acronym. It stands for Exponential, Simple, Continuous, Autonomous Learning Ecosystems, right? So at the end of the day, XSCALE stands for a learning ecosystem. Learning is the biggest, uh, you know, fuel or factor for any transformation. Uh, if there is no learning, uh, if there's no learning in that transformation and you're not applying that learning or sharing that knowledge, I don't think that transformation is going to go further. The reason XScale was formed goes back to the days of Agility, right? When the manifesto was written, Agile was coined as an ecosystem. But over the course of time, it's actually become a certification generating machine, I should say. We have multiple certifications. We have multiple organizations, multiple frameworks. And, you know, people have lost that ecosystem value, which was the intent of Agility in the beginning. So with Xscale, we are trying to rediscover that. We are trying to bring lean practices in and uh, truly try to be agile than just, you know, do agile by adopting a framework. Kumar, what are your thoughts? Yes, Nishan, I, I totally agree. Um, agile originally was focused on agile teams. It wasn't focused on organization. It was about the teams. But by extension, or if you were to extend agile teams as the core component of an agile organizations, these values and principles from the manifesto naturally should be able to apply to multiple teams, lots of teams. Right? So what we want to do is extend the manifesto with a set of values and principles that apply at the organizational level. And so building learning communities over training hierarchies focusing on business throughput over cost accounting, focusing on autonomy and alignment over command and control, a self-propagating transformation over big transformation up front, decentralized ownership over siloed responsibilities. These are the things we want to focus on in descaling an organization. And these happen to be the values in in Xscale. So part of the, the, the values and principles of Xscale. And it's it's really an extension and I'd say an addition to the Agile Manifesto, built on the premise that Agile teams are the core building block of an Agile organization. So how do we do this with large organizations that are hierarchically um, organized with large bureaucracies that limit the learning and the flow of information between the layers of the organization? Well, I like to think of it as a colony of ants. They are 
autonomous and can act independently of one another. They all have specific roles. Some are worker ants, some are fighter ants, uh, some are queen ants, and, and so on and so forth. But they all know their purpose, and they're all aligned to a common mission, which is to grow the colony and invade new territories. And much unlike a caterpillar, a big behemoth that is slow to move and can get sworn by a colony of ants. So that's what we want organizations to be, more like a colony of ants. If I can make a pun, that's a little creepy, your <laughs> analogy, but uh, just to try and uh, maybe connect it back to what Nishant was saying, you know, when I love your, your, the, your, you saying this is about small teams sharing what they understand and what they know, when small teams do share their learning, they naturally curate the most important learning by choosing what they share and what they don't share. And that's probably what ants do too, but teams certainly do it well, uh, whether it's organized or not. And one of the challenges that I have seen in bigger organizations is to have that environment of trust and experimentation and fail fast and test and learning that will help get that learning experience to flourish, right? I mean, most companies are kind of hold back on the learning because they are really afraid of taking risks. And when that kind of creeps into the organization, when it's risk-driven primarily, I'm not saying risk shouldn't be any part of the equation, but when it's risk-driven primarily, then the learning kind of falls behind. And I don't know whether that has been your experience, but that's what I have seen. So hopefully the X-scale pattern has some help there for organizations that want to adopt that learning patterns into their into their teams and by extension to the other parts of the enterprise. How is the X I mean we we got to the basic definitions of what X scale means. Mar, I mean in your experience, how is it different from the other patterns? I mean the other patterns also don't shy away from saying that you should be a learning organization. But at the core, how is it different from some of the other frameworks that we have seen seen in the industry? Yeah, sure. And before I answer that, I want to maybe leave a different analogy since the ants analogy was a <laughs> creepy. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's more speedboats rather than battleships or speedboats rather than Titanics. You know, large organizations um, as Titanics, you know, the, the big ship that, of course, is now at the bottom of the ocean. We want speedboats that are autonomous and able to react and uh, in, a, in a manner that's very agile, very nimble, so that they can react and adapt to market conditions. Well, it's still life and death. I was going to say Marriott has fewer beds for rent than Airbnb, despite having put in many more billions of dollars of capital investment. Marriott uh, may have fewer beds, but I'm still staying in one this, uh, this coming week. I think Marriott's awesome, but they are not able to be as nimble. You know, when you put in a light rail, it can't move to where the people are. Governments tend to to order people to live near the light rail now that they've made the investment. Whereas buses, we can just move the bus stop and, and have the bus go to a different place. I love those types of analogies. But I certainly understood what you meant, Kumar, when you said small boats versus big behemoths that, uh, you know, give me, a, give me a couple dozen miles, I'll turn this rig around, is the way those big ships work. Right. And, and that's the, the core of it, right? So X-Scale attempts to descale an organization. And that was the intent of the analogy, whether it's ants or, or, or speedboats. If we want to be able to react with speed to market conditions, we have to find ways to 
create a learning ecosystem that allows for teams, autonomous teams to make decisions based on the shifts in, in, in the market. But anyway, so back to how it's a different, uh, maybe it might be worthwhile just a quick run through the, the acronym of Xscale and then maybe Nishant, you can get into a little bit more depth. So what are we talking about when we're talking about Xscale? As we mentioned before, it is an acronym and the acronym Xscale stands for exponential that's the X and X scale is really the second letter in exponential. Simple, continuous, autonomous learning ecosystems. And so let's let's go through each one just briefly. So exponential is really to seek a return by stacking growth curves. What does that mean? Well, if you look at most companies, most companies are linear growth, meaning they progress in, at a linear price, uh, uh, pace. And what we want to do is discover what the disruptors are in a, in a market's ecosystem and stack these growth curves one on top of the other so that we can, we can exponentially grow the ecosystem, much like Apple did in the 2000s and Amazon has been doing in the 2000s and so on. The simple is really designed to the elegance of the minimum. And so embracing simple design patterns, design thinking, design sprints, all of those things to really get to the core of hypothesis-driven development so that we can get to that, those ex- exponential growth curves. Continuous optimization of throughput. So really understanding, again, in your product ecosystem, what are the, the, the bottlenecks in that ecosystem and continuously improve throughput so that you can optimize for the ecosystem. Autonomous, we mentioned before, really talks about autonomous teams and self-managing streams of work. So like I mentioned before, getting back to the core of what Agile Agile is, it's about the team, the, the core building block that delivers value. So let's get them autonomous. Let's get them to understand what the, the value stream's intent is in, in the product ecosystem and let them loose. Learning is about triple loop. I mean, I'll have to explain that, of course, but briefly, it's really about the squad the product itself, the, the collection of squads or, or the tribe, and then the portfolio. So enhancing lear- learning between these layers through patterns like uh, product councils and leadership councils, chapters and guilds are, are what we want to explore. And it goes way beyond Spotify, by the way. And finally, the E in Xscale is for ecosystems. And it's really about an ecosystem thinking mechanism. So it's really about the whole board, thinking about the whole product ecosystem and thinking about and maximizing and optimizing the flow of value in that system. So to add a little bit more, you know, and to explain a little bit more about Excel, um, you know, it's all about, again, I mean, as Kumar was talking about, it's it's to deal with self-propagating transformation in order to build an ecosystem uh, which can work together and, you know, bring out the best in them. One thing that you would see here is when you talk about continuous, it actually stands for continuous throughput. What is different here is we are going to be working on one bottleneck constraint at a time. And, you know, you prioritize to that level that you're only concentrating on that constraint at any given point of time. You don't work on every other constraint like it, like we do in today's frameworks or uh, other patterns that we have. I mean, we try to actually do our justice to other constraints that are there in the organization, but uh, we forget that there's only going to be one bottleneck all the time. So uh, our goal is to increase the throughput, and that can be achieved 
with that ecosystem that we're talking about. And Xscale is all about that. It's again, I mean, it's not a framework. This goes hand in hand with any framework in the market today, including Safe, uh, DAD, Nexus. I mean, you can name any framework and Xscale will work hand in hand. Uh, it's more to do with bringing in a lean structure, more to do with actually adding patterns, which would actually increase your throughput and give you that exponential return that you're looking at. Having said that, I mean, uh, Jolly, I'll turn it over to you so that you can ask questions on, yeah. uh, you know, anything specific that you want to know about Xcalp. Yeah, so, but let me ask Phil one question before that, which is, Kumar and Nishan talked about the learning patterns that will help first small teams learn and then help propagate that through the organization. You have been all involved with big organizations in the past. What do you think is preventing them, if at all, from that propagation from happening? You know, you mentioned the willingness to take risks. That actually was the first question I wanted to ask was, how does that propagation of information how can we help with that? Because I think that's something that, that I've seen the struggle. It, whether I don't know whether it's a, a willingness to take a risk or a willingness to share what we, you know, the, the failings that we've had, the learning, you know, that we've had. But I, I think that's my answer to your question, Jolly, is we've struggled with an ability to learn quickly through failure. Uh, right. I understand why that's, uh, why that's a very common language that we use in Agile. Uh, but I also think it's very real. It's a fear of sharing that I failed at something or that I struggled at something or even fundamentally that I need help or that I don't know something. Mm-hmm. So I'm very mm-hmm. curious to hear how Xscale helps with that natural propagation of learning. Yeah, and I'm sure that's a great question for uh, Kumar or Nishant. I can take a stab at it. So Nishant mentioned a self-propagating transformation. In Xscale, the way we propagating transformations is by identifying the people passionate within an organization, passionate mm-hmm. for this type of change, right? So, I mean, this is not so dissimilar from, from SAFE. I mean, SAFE uh, talks about a tipping point and identifying a uh, change coalition and, and having them drive the change forward. The difference is that in a self-propagating transformation is we're trying to identify a sliver within the organization, almost like a spike that you would do for a software development product, right? So you're trying to develop a product, you do a spike through the systems to discover what you can discover so that you can then use that knowledge to better the product as a whole. Well, in a self-propagating transformation, it's kind of the same thing. You hold an open space and you see who are the passionate individuals. And you you wouldn't do it for the whole organization. You would pick an area, mm-hmm. um, a, a portfolio, uh, a, a value stream uh, that you think of it as a value stream. Mm-hmm. And you would do an, an open space that explores some key questions, you know, mm-hmm. the key drivers for change. Again, not that dissimilar to what any of us are exposed to. The difference mm-hmm. is that we're going to pick those people that seem to rise to the top and ask them if they would like to do something different. And what's different is, again, similar to SAFE, is identifying what the value streams are in that part of the organization. The difference is that we want our value streams to be you know, maybe a small part of a value stream. So our, our streams are naturally small. Our, our squads are no bigger than six. The number of hops of information between the squad, which are our team, and the value stream is no more than four. Uh, and we have self-repeating patterns of, uh, of information sharing between the squad 
and the portfolio and the stream so that and not just self-repeating, but the members that make up these layers, if you will, are interchangeable. So squads may serve on the squad council or they could serve on a portfolio council or it could serve on a stream council, what's called a stream council. So it's a self-perpetuating learning machine, if you will, within that value stream that allows for exponential growth of what whatever it is that they're building, whatever it is that they're supporting. And once that's been established, then we seed the next value stream with a few of the people from the original so that it self-propagates. Our role as coaches becomes truly to coach that part of the organization on these patterns, X-scale patterns, and allow the people to upskill their capabilities in such a manner that they can then multiply themselves across the organization. That's an awesome way to put it. You know, again, I mean, we're not looking to bring in a lot of people to actually do the transformation. We're not going to, you know, bring in a ton of external consultants or coaches to actually bring about the change in the organization using Xscale. Instead, what we're trying to do is use the members of the organization who are progressive and uh, join them together to get an uncompromised new capability. In that way, uh, you're actually going to see self-propagation of a transformation rather than you know having external people do the work for you. It's actually trying to teach the people in the organization to go in that direction. So again, as, I, as we mentioned over and over again, it's trying to build that ecosystem where everyone is actually looking at a whole holistic view of where they want to head towards rather than looking at their individual parts or squads or uh, teams. So it's it's more to do with a holistic view approach and uh, try to see how we build that ecosystem. I'm pretty sure, Kumar, um, I know you love to talk about the ecosystem and the pirate canvas, so I'm going to let you do that and give Jolly and uh, Phil uh, and everyone listening to this podcast an idea about uh, what that means. How do we build that ecosystem inside Excel? Uh, sure. But before I do that, I just want to see if there's any questions with what we just covered from Phil or Jolly. Sorry, Jolly. I'll just let sure. me try and finish the thought. Uh, that I, it sounds like part of the value that can be brought is facilitation and identification of the people that exist in the, in the ecosystem today through somehow identify or identified as being eager and having an interest in carrying forward with with the new learning that's being introduced and as members of that ecosystem be lifted up and uh, and somehow participate in this new this new thing that that is being brought to them is that sort of what I'm am I hearing right there exactly Phil I mean in your introduction you said what it, you said something that was really telling about yourself and and about a lot of people in a lot of organizations is that you discovered that you are agile. You think in a lean way, in, a, in an agile way, and you're always looking at, you know, how to improve things and, and, and to the annoyance of people are, that, that know and care about you, a mild annoyance, I'm sure. And that's what we want to do at an X scale is identify the fills in the world in, in the organization that have the passion and have the desire for continuous improvement. Those people are going to be the ones to lead the transformation, not the external coaches. You know, you, you're, you know, companies spend inordinate amounts of money bringing in external consultants, and they are needed, no doubt about it. They are needed. 
but truly what we're, what coaches should be doing is setting the foundation for a learning ecosystem. And that alone will help self-propagate and create a truly um, sort of a sustained transformation effort, right? One that can grow exponentially, number one, and one that can stick. Most transformations that I've been involved with just aren't sticky because it's a top-down thing. You know, leadership decrees, oh, we're going to go agile because that's what everyone's doing or because if we don't, we're going to get eaten by a swarm of ants. Sorry, I have to bring the ants back in. But it doesn't work because, well, not everyone is bought in. You know, you've got a few people that are bought in. Even even folks like yourself, Phil, if it comes down decreed that we're going to do something, unless you really understand it and can embrace it, you may be turned off by a decree like that. Absolutely. You can actually be turned off from a good idea sometimes by that top-down weight. Instead, I sort of envisioned stepping out into the light and saying, well, the air is fresh out here. And I've got uh, all of these ideas. Uh, is it actually possible to think that way? Uh, and uh, and of course it is in real life and in your personal life. But is it is it possible to think that way uh, and still bring value to to an organization that has uh, a vision and a mission toward a specific facet of the kind of work that they're doing? You guys, any other questions? I can talk a little bit about the Pirate Canvas and how it relates to this. Yeah, it would, it, would, it, would great, it would be great for our listeners to hear about a concrete example that can make a difference maybe starting tomorrow if they're listening to this podcast today. I started to talk about it, but I kind of stumbled around the canvas a little bit. I'll start again, and, and maybe it'll be a little better this time. So the pirate canvas really talks about those, I would say, stages, I guess, in a product development uh, or products lifecycle. So you've got active, uh, sorry, acquisition, so you're acquiring customers activation you're doing they're doing something or you're asking them to do something take it's a call to action you know click on the email or download the app or something so they're activating in some way shape or form uh retention is okay they're going to actually pay for for the app maybe or or if it's a paid app or they're going to give you their email you know they're activated they're they're signing up for something and so they're activated retention is okay they're retained you know they they have Maybe that's where the, the, the money changes hands. They say, okay, this app is great. I'm going to pay the money and get the additional features. Mm-hmm. And then referral is they're now users in your ecosystem and they're referring other people. And what does that mean? Well, it means that the money you spend into marketing, you don't have to spend as much because your product is so strong and so good that just word of mouth is enough to bring more people in. And finally, of course, the, the last uh, is return or, or, or revenue. And that's why it's called a pirate canvas, because these five stages of a customer's journey in, in, within a product ecosystem spells R, you know, like the, like the pirate, right? And so the idea in exponential, simple, continuous, autonomous learning ecosystems is kind of rooted around this idea that if you had insight into where the bottlenecks are in your product ecosystem or products ecosystem within an organization. And you know where people are stuck, that you're spending lots of money in, in retention programs, but you're not getting any people through to re- be retained. They're all getting stuck in the activation phase. They're not actually clicking on the email or giving you their email or whatever the step is in that product's life cycle. Then you're just wasting money. You're not doing right. anything 
to get them to that stage where they can be retained, right? And so yep. you're much better served by spending more money on activation on whatever it is that they, you, you get them to entice them to activate their account or their app or their product. You're much better served lifting that bottleneck so that you can get a flow through to the next state uh, and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the, the premise behind all of this. If you have insight into where the bottlenecks are, then you can stack growth curves. So as a product fizzles out and you've, you've extinguished the life of the product, you can come up with something new to stack on top of it and exponentially increase your return. Even within a product, if you know where your bottlenecks are, you can exponentially re- increase the return of that product until it becomes, you know, it ceases to be a delighter. So quick story before, before I turn it over to someone else. Everyone knows about Apple. Apple in the 2000s, especially, maybe not so much today, but in the mid 2000s, they came up with the iPod, right? Great product. It was a delighter. Everyone wanted one. They used it to store all their music. And then what happened? Well, if you, if you take the iPod, they were activating customer, acquiring customers, activating them, of course, retaining them and their customers were then bringing in new customers because, of course, if you have an iPod, now there's someone else doesn't. They're going to say, what is that? Oh, this is my iPod. I can store, you know, a thousand songs on it, whatever it is. And so, of course, you, they bring in more people. They're now captive in that ecosystem. And so they, they did that. And of course, their growth soared, right? iPods soared. But what did Apple do? They weren't content just to stick with the iPod. They came out with the iPhone. And what did the iPhone do to the iPod? It cannibalized the sales of the iPod, right? They disrupted themselves. And that's something that Steve Jobs has said. We're not going to let someone else disrupt us. We're going to disrupt ourselves. And so, and they did this time and time again until they, I guess maybe the passing of Steve Jobs or something happened where Apple is now a linear growth company. They're not an exponential growth company anymore. I can add a real life uh, experience to this since I uh, already mentioned I used to work for Nokia. Nokia at 2003, we had the first touchscreen the world had ever seen. But then the leadership at that time did not let us work on it. We were a linear growth company. Everyone knew uh, Nokia. I think on this call, I mean, uh, everyone listening to this call knows Nokia from where they came in and how they uh, actually ruled the telephone market or the telecommunication market for a long time until iPhone or Apple took over. So 2003, when when I got uh, you know to play with that touchscreen, I was so excited. I wanted to bring out something uh, valuable, which I can bring out to the people around. But it was shelved. We we shelved it, saying that the world is not ready for such a product. And guess what happened? Apple came up with a user experience that no one can ever challenge, even till date. I mean, it's the best user experience you can get in the market. That is what is disruption, right? That's where what Kumar was talking about, you know, stacking those curves, stacking those linear curves and make it a sigmoid and exponentially grow. That's what the industry requires. And that's what Xscale is all about. And we achieve that uh, with various patterns inside Xscale. Yeah, that was a segue to uh, adding a real-life experience to what Kumar was talking about, the pyrochemist. Excellent. Thank you so much. So I'm guessing that 
any type of company can benefit from this, these patterns that Xscale brings to the table. Uh, am I wrong in assuming that? Or is it just for small companies, medium companies, big or corporate enterprises? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'd be better to ask Phil that question since he is in a large Fortune 100 company. What do you think? I mean, do you think it, it could, this is something, based on what you've heard so far, is something that might work where you are? Well, I think the disruptive nature of being open to ideas that maybe don't follow a linear path uh, is quite thought-provoking. But I think that it can it can cause you to stall. And I'm I'm interested in the answer to Jolly's question, and maybe many people are. And how do I apply the the R thinking uh, to be disruptive without uh, without completely derailing everything that we want to do that that's in a classic uh, linear vision. Well, it's not about derailing everything. And it's not about working on just one thing. It's working within a value stream on the bottleneck that is holding that product ecosystem back. If it's um, in the activation phase of a product, so you're trying to activate new new subscribers to whatever the product might be, and that's where the bottleneck is, then basically throttles any new growth or development for that product ecosystem ahead of it, uh, from retention to referral to, you know, ultimately your return is going to suffer, uh, which is what happens in, in lots of traditional companies that are satisfied with the linear growth curve. So the growth is throttled, but they're okay with the three or 5% growth growth rates, which are, you know, quite, quite good, quite fantastic. But um, what we're trying to do is really exponentially increase those growth curves. So we want to apply this type of thinking, this type of ecosystem thinking using pirate metrics and a pirate canvas to explore what the bottlenecks are for all of the important things that an organization is doing, not just the one thing that uh, we think is um, uh, holding us back for the whole company. And, and you know, going back to Jolly's original question, can this work for any size company? You know, it's my opinion based on my experience with it so far, which has been fairly limited, we should have mentioned early in this broadcast that Nishant and I have only been exposed to this for several months. So I feel, in my opinion, it can apply to any size company because really what we're talking about is getting back to the roots of Agile. And the roots of Agile are about autonomous teams. Uh, of course, the manifesto doesn't talk about what to do and how to scale that. So we're talking about a different approach. We're talking about descaling and applying certain patterns and principles that can be applied to any framework that's out there to help descale it, to help um, simplify it so that information flows more freely and readily. And and this is where, and all these changes that you guys are mentioning, that is where the agile mindset becomes more important than almost anything else, right? And can I, are there patterns in, in X scale that we can use to change the mindset if we need to? Uh, I mean, if you can get 20%, and that's a number that I have seen thrown around very often, if you can get 20% of the people to subscribe to any new habit or any new change, then we have a win is, is what I have heard. And I have realized that in practice, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so are there any tools in the, as part of the toolkit of Xscale that will help me get the mindset shift to happen? The mindset shift that you're talking about, Jolly, is something Phil mentioned earlier, cultural change. It's something that gets built up on time. 
Um, it's, it's built upon time. It's built upon trust. The agile values that we had uh, originally is the same values that Xscale works on. So those principles, those uh, you know, uh, those principles are still the same. Those that is the beating heart of uh, Xscale. So now what uh, Xscale does uh, is build an organization, an agile, true agile organization. This twenty percent that you're talking about, uh, maybe you are going to see more than twenty percent by applying. Uh, the principles uh, that are there with Excel. The reason being, you're not attached to a framework. It's more to do with autonomous teams. And once your team is autonomous and self-managing, the growth is, you know, something that is really, really exponential. But once again, uh, the cultural change and the mindset change is something that truly comes to people that really want it. You can take a horse to the water, but you cannot make it drink water. So that principle is going to still remain the same. Having said that, I, I don't know, Kumar, do you want to add something on top of it? Sure. There's there's some practical things that come out of Xscale that, that can be applied as an accelerant to any framework. Or even or if, if an organization wants to experiment with Xscale as the framework, quote unquote, to transform, then obviously it will work that way too. One of them is called leadership as a service and mm-hmm. is key to providing leaders with practical tools to, you know, we hear a lot about how leaders need to become servant leaders and, and uh, what is a servant leader and, and leaders go to a two day leadership class or, and many times they won't devote two days for it. They might go to a two hour leadership class and we know the outcome of that, right? The leaders know what to say, but they don't know how to do it. And the culture around them doesn't really support the notion that they're suddenly going to divest their responsibilities to uh, squad members or portfolio members or program members or whatever these things, these people are, right, that they're supposed to do. They are still responsible for the bottom line and they're not going to give that up. Leadership as a service is a very simple model and it grew out of Iroquois, Indian, you know, Native, Native American, society. At its most simplest level, Iroquois society was organized into what are called longhouses. So several families living in a in a longhouse. And in each longhouse, the families, think of them as squads, right? Um, mm-hmm. would send a representative to a longhouse council. And this council, ne- never more than six to eight people, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, would elect a leader for that mm-hmm. session, just a session. Mm-hmm. And the leader's sole responsibility was to decide the decider. In so doing, that leader uh, or the elected leader, all they were asked to do was if the council could not come to a decision on a particular topic, then the leader would decide who had the most information to make a logical decision. And so mm-hmm. say it's the four of us. And I was the, the decider or I was the leader. I would say, Nishant, why don't you make a decision and break the tie? That was their role. And it was the simple act of leadership as a service that allowed the Indian Native American civilizations to prosper for hundreds of years in fractals of this same type of a council. So clans were organized into tribes and tribes were organized into whatever came above a tribe. I'm not as familiar with exactly their structure, but as it grew out, it was the same pattern. So clans would donate members of their clan to serve in a tribe council and 
tribes would donate people, again, a rotating council, right? So different people mm-hmm. from the tribe to serve in a nation's council. It was this type mm-hmm. of federalist government that inspired nations in Europe and the Americas, right, as a system of democracy. And what we're trying to do in Xscale is instill this type of leadership as a service within organizations large and small so mm-hmm. that the knowledge spreads, the the missions, uh, the visions is is shared amongst many, right, and not, mm-hmm. not kept within the confines of a few leaders at the top echelons of, uh, mm-hmm. of the company. Yeah, that makes sense. So we have got a brief introduction into Xscale, some of the patterns that are part of Xscale. I'm pretty sure that our listeners would love to learn a little bit more. Uh, what, what, what are the different options that they have at this point? So maybe they can learn something on their own and try some of these patterns at their own organizations. So, Jolly, uh, you know, I mean, there's so much here at our learning ecosystem. We have a great uh, website where our listeners can actually go in and play around. There's so much content in there where they can read about what Xscale is and what patterns we are talking about. But also, uh, you know, we, we as a part of uh, Agile Meridian, we are going to run more podcasts focusing on mm-hmm. each of these patterns, each of these principles and talk more so that people who want to listen and uh, try to experiment with this and have questions can come and share their experience with us on those podcasts. So for now, I mean, there's a ton of content there. We are actually doing an uh, American tour of Xscale uh, in the coming few months. You know, the links would be shared on our LinkedIn and on the website and through Agile Meridian. So anyone who's interested can come and talk to us, chat with us, share the knowledge and we can try to build this ecosystem into a stronger one. I just want to add that Peter Merrill, just want to make sure we give credit to Peter. He's the founder and the CEO of AgileAlliance.org and the creative, really the creative soul, if you will, of Xscale. He's been there from the beginning uh, through the Agile Manifesto days. And it was, I think he, he was just a coincidence that he wasn't part of the Agile Man, the writing of the Agile Manifesto. But he's been around for a long time, uh, in the infancy of uh, the uh, the Agile movement, and has created uh, a lot of this content available on LinkedIn. So just search for uh, for for Peter Merrill, and you can see a lot of his articles, along with a YouTube channel that has a lot of really good content that describes many of the patterns in depth. And as uh, Nishant said, we'll be exploring these topics more, sort of on how would we apply them to to what we do as coaches. So while Peter does a fantastic job of describing each of the letters that make up X scale, we can certainly add to that. But I think our focus is going to be more, how do we make this actionable? What would we do in certain situations? Things like that. I love the, I'm intrigued actually by the idea of organizing in such a way that that allows people to choose accountability when appropriate. That's quite intriguing. And I'm, I look forward to learning more about that for sure. Thank you so much, Kumar, Nishant, and Phil for the excellent inaugural broadcast of Agile Meridian. We hope to bring you valuable content uh, in the future, uh, specifically on the topic of Xscale and other Agile transformation and execution challenges that we see around the industry. Hope to see you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>